0: We've chosen the most popular interviews for you to select the Listener's Choice winner. If you're not sure how the Listener's Choice competition works, have a look at horsechats.com slash choice for the rules and the leaderboard. If you have the same vision as International Horse College, which is to have a world where people safely appreciate, respect and enjoy their horses, and the horses appreciate, respect and enjoy their people, then have a look at their website, Internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered training organisation 31352. Today I'd like to introduce Robert Stewart. So Robert's been a competitor in dressage, eventing and show jumping at a national level and also at an international level in eventing and show jumping. He's represented Australia in show jumping and also rode and competed in Europe in about 2001, 2002. As well as all of that, Robert's done quite a lot as a coach and coach educator. He's been national coach of the year. He's also represented his country in a coaches forum and for the FEI as well as a coach for the Developing Equestrian Nations program. So I'd like to introduce Robert. Hi, Robert. How are you?
1: Hi, Glynnis. I'm well.
0: Thank you for asking. Great. Robert, I want to talk a bit about your favourite inspirational quote, which is, nothing is impossible. Can you tell me how you came to have that quote and what it's
1: got to do with horses when you've used it? I guess it came from when I was in my early 20s and um, I Came from a family with no visible means of support. <laughs> yes. And when I came to Sydney, I just decided that I was going to take up horse riding. And I did, mm-hmm. again. Yep. I'd, I'd done it as a child in Queensland. And Sydney was a different picture.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Took a lot of resources. And I just worked. I rode my horses at night. And before you know it, I was competing at a national level, won the national eventing championships at a novice level in 84. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, through the great jobs and things afforded to continue in the sport and in 86 I decided I am going to try and become a professional
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I gave myself two years to be at the top of the sport and I made it within that two years and uh, and then stayed there realistically for the next six or seven years, um, culminating in I think three years in the top 10 in the World Cup rankings. So it just, mm-hmm. with no, no visible means of support still. Uh, so if you want it bad enough, you do what's necessary and you can achieve what what you're
0: doing about? that. I think that's very inspirational. Yeah, very inspirational for those who now are at the place where they might have to be working in a job and riding at night, getting up early, riding in the morning and thinking that they're not going to get there, thinking that there's a lot of professionals out there that have got everything going for them and they're in a job that they have to use to support their horses and, and they need money to train their horses and get that tuition. So it's great that you can talk about that.
1: Yep. I guess I was really fortunate to – I got to work for the people that uh, I trained for. They could obviously spot my keenness. And so mm-hmm. I – for Tina Walensdorf and I became a working pupil for George Sanner and, um, you know, those are the two people that were formative in my development as a, as a writer in the early days. And mm-hmm. so, um, you know, but I, I didn't have to pay for that. I had to work for it.
0: Yes, yes, that's right. I think if people are keen enough, they'll find the way. You know, it may not be a straight, direct path, but they'll just keep winding along the path and taking advantage of opportunities and, as you say, putting the work into it, not just expecting it to be laid out for them. Yep.
1: Correct. You value it more when you work hard for it, I think.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, now you started off in Queensland with horses. Tell me about your first memories with horses.
1: Well, actually, I started in Tamworth. My family lived in Tamworth and I started my competition career in Queensland. Okay. But I started riding horses in Tamworth. My father was a sales rep for an agricultural company, Merck Sharp and Dam, and he got to know John and Terry Kelly, which some people might remember the famous Kelly clowns from the Royal Shows Yes. around the country. Yeah, and the Kellys gave us a horse to ride and... Uh, my brother and I started riding it, I had no idea what we were doing, of course. <laughs> and uh, there it began. Mm, mm. It was a very big horse, and we were small kids, and we just decided we were going to start doing it. So we did. Yep. So it started in, in town. And uh, when I was 10, we moved to Brisbane, and my father bought four ponies on the train from North Queensland, and we broke them in, and, and they became pony club horses, mm-hmm. slash, some um, of them became pony hacks. And, yep. and we sold them and used to trade up.
0: okay okay good
1: that's that's what I remember you know very blessed to to run into Tom Meikle who was a fellow that was trained by Franz Maringer out in Winton and he he was our first real coach and uh, started us on the right footing
0: okay if you met someone and you had to speak to them their parents and they were deciding on whether or not to have a career in the horse industry what would you recommend for them What are the core skills that you think that the person needs to just start in the horse industry?
1: Dogged determination. Yep. Resilience and a thick skin.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right. Now, say that person, and you've been through it, so you know what the keys are to excel. Say you've got, and and you'll get thousands of them, you know, thousands of people out there riding, competing, working professional, making a living – But not excelling, not doing what it takes to go to the top. What do you think are the keys to take that extra step and go to the top?
1: If you want to be at the top of any discipline, it requires outstanding horse flesh. Without that, you can be the best rider in the country. And without that understanding that you need to access, and then to necessarily own it, but you need to be able to access top quality horse flesh. Yep. Okay. This is something I can remember talking, talking to Edwina Alexander when I taught Edwina when she was a young girl. Mm-hmm. And um, her mother, you know, tried to buy a couple of horses and they were unsuitable and they were really limiting this girl's career. And and I said to her, listen, if you want your daughter to succeed, you need to buy her the best horses you can afford. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the rest is history.
2: Okay. Yep. And now Edwina's...
1: Yep. The Red winner's is in a place where she rides the world, and, and that's why she's now number one. Well, I don't know if she's number one, but she's close to the leading female rider in the world.
2: Okay,
1: okay. And, uh, on the Global Champions Tour. So that's one thing. Yep. But the second thing, without that dogged determination I mentioned earlier, mm. you won't make it.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: You have to want it and pursue it with everything you've got. Okay. You may or may not get it, but without that, you will not succeed. Mm
0: hmm. All right. Now, you've mentioned a few people. You've mentioned Tina Womelsdorf, George Sanner. Wayne Roycroft, you said, has had a fair bit of influence on you.
1: When did you first meet Wayne? As a co-competitor mm-hmm. when in the 80s when I was eventing, I was a young up-and-come rider. Yep. And uh, well, Wayne was a seasoned Olympian and uh, esteemed competitor. Yes. And I can remember riding in the same classes as, as Wayne and Valdez, and, you know, I could only see him as a class of competitor so far beyond all the rest of us at the time, and I just had a huge respect for him as a rider and competitor. And then later, as I matured in the sport and grew up, I became very friends with Wayne and Vicky, mm-hmm. and we have been very good friends. Mm-hmm. And I still value the inspiration that he gave me and and the support. There were periods in my career when Wayne was my most ardent supporter,
2: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. particularly as I was doing eventing and, and show jumping at the top level, and he, mm-hmm. uh, he was really encouraging to me personally mm-hmm. and very supportive of my riding skill, and his confidence gave me confidence. Good, good. His confidence in me gave me a lot of confidence. Mm-hmm, so, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, no, hugely value Wayne's influence on me and my career.
0: And Sir Mark Todd? When did you become influenced more by him?
1: Well, when I was competing at top level in show jumping in here and also eventing, there was only really one other person in the world doing that at the same time, and that was Toddy. Yep. And uh, I'd seen Vicky, Roy Vicky had competed at Los Angeles, and then the next Olympics, I think it was Seoul. She went to the Olympics with Mickey Mouse, and so she had done it you know, as a separate career path. Well, not career paths, but she was eventing at one Olympic Games and then show jumping, and I had the opportunity to do it at both, and Todd had done it at, at you know, at international level at games um, in both disciplines, and mm-hmm. I was on track to do that for Australia. Okay. That didn't quite come off. But yep. um, Todd was my inspiration around that. He was, uh, and, and still is, such mm-hmm. a hugely gifted and talented writer that I think he's inspired a plethora of all around the world, Yep, certainly of my era.
0: Yes, yes, but, yes, and he's,
1: he's brilliant. Such a, yep. Not such a, just a, a wonderful jumping rider, but great feel, a great competitor, and just enormously talented, gifted rider.
0: Yeah, 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 certainly is. I want you to tell me about talented horses or horse horses, not just what they did with you at the top level, but when you first met them, you know, when you first came across them, how you came across them, how you realised how good they were.
1: Well, I'm going to talk about Cavanaugh first. For me, he was uh, a horse that I rode at mainly in shows. I mean, I, I rode him once, eventing in the national championships, and when I very first got him. But um, I had seen this horse as a Virtually off the track racehorse
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, as a five-year-old thoroughbred with a friend of mine, Sandy Butt, who wanted to try my flat saddle. <laughs> okay. He wanted to jump it, and he was on this grey horse. And I said, "Yeah, jump, just jump around wherever you like." And he just this young horse over. And we were talking cross rails, mm-hmm. and this horse just canter in and jumped to the tiger wings. Wow! And repeated time, half the time. <laughs> I said, look, I'll give you the saddle, all of those saddles that I've got if I can have that horse. Wow,
2: wow.
1: And Sandy rode him for a little while and his wife Penny rode him for mm-hmm. a couple of years. And yep. And I didn't see again until he was uh, eight-year-old, I think. And yes. then I saw him with the rider he had then. He was a big horse and uh, when he went cross-country and into open spaces, he got a bit frightening. And I think he was a bit frightening for the girl that was riding him at the time. Yep. Anyway, the guy who owned him offered him around to various show jumping riders and he'd had a big melanoma mm-hmm. and they didn't want to touch him because of that. And, you know, I said, look, I'll, I'll, I'd love to have the horse. So I paid 500 bucks for him and uh, the rest is history. Wow. Within 18 months, he was jumping around Grand Prix and he was, uh, I feel, very privileged to have had anything to do with the horse, let alone mm-hmm. ride such a careful and brave and scopy and kind individual
0: hmm mm. and, and great that you recognised him when he was just a young horse just off the track.
1: Oh, he was, I you think know, everyone, everyone recognised him. You can't hide that sort of ability. Mm, mm. But um, the, the mere fact that I was able to get down the track and still have him for, I think I had him for three years, four years. Yes. And uh, to inject that, that, you know, that enormous success mm-hmm. uh, on him... Um, and uh, just, it was just a privilege. Mm, mm. So he was one. He was one. And mm-hmm. uh, I guess the other horse that I really didn't think was such a superstar when I first got him, a client bought him for herself. And, uh, mm-hmm. and from a friend of mine in Queensland, Mark Myers, started yes. the horse. So he was called Southern Cross Wizkid at the time. Mm-hmm. And Wizkid, I started riding him at, at just a pre-novice. I, first event I rode him in, he won the national championships at pre-novice. Okay. And it was the first, first event I'd ridden in, one-day event I'd ridden in for 10 years. And within within a very short space of time of season, he was advanced. And, yeah, winning and placing within the next two years, of um, we won the national championships one-day event prior to Melbourne's three-day event. Yep. Yeah, he was really an amazing horse uh, as far as his athletic capacity and his confidence in himself and uh, just uh, the ease at which he found jumping. Mm-hmm. It was a very, very good racehorse too. So I'm, I believe that good racehorses are good athletes, and uh, this horse converted in a wonderful way.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Last Blessed have had them both at the same time. Uh-huh. That, uh huh. That my career is definitely at a hiatus. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> Along with that dream of wanting to, to show jump and the event at the top level at the same time. Yep. That was um, it was taking shape. Okay, mm. okay. So, All
0: right. Now, what about your proudest moment? What do you think is your proudest moment? Proudest
1: moment? Well, it's probably too long ago to even remember. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to now be reflecting, now you're asking that question, yes. I'm reflecting on people I've taught mm-hmm. and how they've gone. So some of them aren't especially the greatest scheme of things in the sport, but they're just my students reaching personal milestones and they're yes. They're so thrilled about that, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, they're reaching, reaching their personal goals. Um, yep. That's probably, for me, uh, I, my personal goals were Olympic Games and World Championships and, and doing the both at one time, and I never realised those, so I don't really, I don't know how to reflect on the rest of that, mm-hmm. but uh, I certainly get enormous satisfaction out of seeing my students. I'm enormously proud of Sam Lowe, the writer that he was with me and, and, and what he's become, mm-hmm today and uh, enormously proud of Edwina and, you know, the people that you've had something to do with, you know, Boyd Martin and and Ryan Wood, those guys, Mm -hmm. you know, you you get your career dotted with those sort of people and seeing them come from, you know, beginner rider through to mainstream competitor, international competitor is, yeah, you you know you've had a part to play in that. Mm -hmm. You might not Mm -hmm. have produced them all the way through, no coach ever does, but it's enormously pleasing to see them become you know, adults and seasoned professionals in doing what they love doing. It's it's, enormously valuable
0: to watch them. Yeah, I'm just going to read a statement here from you, Rob. This is a statement that you made at one stage. I've had the privilege to coach many wonderfully talented riders over my career, many who've gone on to become successful riders and coaches. I believe that no one person ever trains a rider or a coach, but there are some of their experiences. I believe that I've inspired many to commit to the sport, pursue their equestrian dreams, and reach their aspirational goals. So I think what you're saying is, it's you know you're proud of the people that you've helped to contribute to make it um, at a top level.
1: Yes, they they won't have done it without their own serious commitment. Yes, and, uh, and so basically you are helping achieve their dream and you know that feels good that yep. feels very good
0: alright now what about a training tip for people what people want to improve their riding improve their handling what's a, a training tip or a training exercise for them
1: well look a training tip will be be this and I read a very good article recently from one of them an American author or columnist that said these days there's, a, there's people tend to learn by the, um, the smorgasbord of coaches that are available to them and I just think that people get confused along the way and I think it's a really good idea to find a good coach, a knowledgeable coach, a well-credentialed coach and an experienced rider, competitor and horse trainer mm-hmm. to learn your craft with. Once you have some fundamentals, it is then much more appropriate to start refining your skill and learn variations on that theme once you have a platform.
2: hmm Mm-hmm. I see a lot
1: of people that go to every clinic and every coach that's ever popped their head up to give a lesson, and they become so confused they don't know what to do at any given time, and they have no foundation, mm-hmm. and uh, And I, I find that's usually a very confusing pathway. You'll find usually the people that succeed are the people that train with someone and stay with that someone until they're at a, at a high level of competition, and then they're able to instructions from almost anyone in the world mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: because they have a platform of learning. And uh, that's probably the training advice that I'd give them. As far as a jumping or a, um, a, a riding tip, ride the best horse you can afford and train it as well as you possibly can flat.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and then with your jumping training, the horse has got only so many jumps in it, don't waste them. They're probably the philosophies of more than tips. But if you want tips, for me, it's about the jumpers. It's about controlling your horse's pace and line and distance. Mm-hmm. And you can exercise that over the poles on the ground. Okay. So yep. um, then you're not wearing them out. Yep. Yep. So we want to do that training. Do it over poles and low jumps.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Now, do you have a book? I didn't ask you earlier if you had a book that you could recommend for our um, listeners. Oh, yes.
1: Yep. I'm a big believer in the principles of writing the German Federation Handbook, which yes. is a uh, core thing. Yep. It seems simplistic, but the better you know it, it's a bit like the Bible. You know, the more yep. you know it, the more you read into it, the more you understand it. Yep. And the Federation Handbook, I believe, is like that.
2: Mm-hmm. It's,
1: it's, it's simplistic, but it's, it's quite complete. And the other one would be, uh, I'm I'm a firm believer of the North American harder seat equitation model Mm -hmm. to teach riders good form and through good form um, develop good function and complement that system with good dressage training. Yep. That's when I believe you get the McLean wards of this world, the most stylish and effective jumping riders. You get some beautiful European jumping riders too. And they have also modernised their techniques and they ride more, more blood in their warm bloods and so ride in a more forward seat mm-hmm. style. And so, yeah, definitely, Hunter Seat Equitation as the jumping one, which just the George Morris. Yep. His very famous book, uh, oh, he's written a book. That's, that's the, the foundational one. Yes. And uh, they would be my two picks. Okay. Mm.
0: All right. Now, going forward, what does your future hold?
1: I hope doing exactly that and inspiring many more young riders to achieve their goal and their mm-hmm. dreams and mm-hmm. uh, continue to be associated in the sport as a, as a coach and uh, mentoring riders. Um, I'm hoping that um, course building might become play a bit larger role in my life.
2: And mm-hmm.
1: I'd uh, like to be building you know uh, good courses for young horse class and uh, at these at good shows. Yep. By so doing, helping to produce good horses and riders. Okay. So, um, yeah, taking it from the, the, the training paddock into the competition paddock.
0: Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Now, can you sum up your philosophy into a lesson today for our listeners?
1: I think, as I've said before, that dog determination is if this is something you want, mm-hmm. then plan, see it in your mind's eye, picture it. Yes. And then plan how you're going to achieve it. Mm -hmm. and um, realistically that's about saying this is where I am, this is where I want to be what do I need to get to where I want to be Mm -hmm. Um, I need horses okay how am I going to get those, this is my financial situation, maybe I've got to buy them as as foals or weanlings and and I've got to learn to break them in and I've got to learn to train them myself and and how am I going to do that and uh, find out the gaps so you really have to make a career plan, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I've done Mm -hmm. this for several riders Mm -hmm. from when I Know right if their parents asked me for a career plan. Yep, and uh, planned their career out because mm-hmm. they don't know how to do that. But and the other thing would be to seek out a coach that cares whether you achieve it or not. Yes, yes.
0: Okay, all right. It, look, it's been amazing talking to you today. I think you've brought in a wealth of experience. Some of the information you've given us has just been just engaging just, you know, something you want to keep listening to again and again. Now, how can people contact you?
1: I'm on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Guild Equestrian. That's my business. And, yeah, they can connect with me there. Yeah. Uh, and the Facebook page will have the contact details. Okay. So, uh, yeah, contact me via Facebook.
0: All right. Very good. Oh, thank you very much for your interview, and we will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you so much, Glenn. It's nice okay. to
1: talk to you. Bye-bye.